0: You are listening to Arrivé by The Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, we just heard there the sound of the finish line, Lottie Kopecky crossing the line to take her second win in a row at the Women's Tour of Flanders. I'm joined by uh, Lizzie Banks to discuss everything that happened. Lizzie, I'm sure you wanted to be out there at the race today.
1: Well, I'm not sure if I did if I wasn't in the first three riders going up the Koppenberg, but I guess we will have (laughs) to discuss that shortly. (laughs) But yeah, it did look like a good race today and uh, thankfully for the riders it was dry because it's been raining all week and the cobbles have been horrendously slippy. But uh, yeah, it looked like a good race today, so... And a lot of fans out on the road. Oh, yeah. I'm th- I was th- I was just thinking
0: there's lots of times when I thought, oh, Lizzie would be g everyone up at this point and that <laughs> point at this point and shouting at her other riders and her <laughs> breakaway there and there. Um, but yes, Lionel has given us, uh, handed over the reins uh, to us to discuss uh, what happened in the race on this uh, Arrivé uh, episode. I'm sure Lionel, because the men's race finished quite a while ago now, didn't it? So I'm sure Lionel's already... In the the market square in Udenada, dancing to some techno Euro pop, which is what they pump out of the speakers there. We actually both have a beer on show, don't we? Because well, you're not actually drinking
1: yours. No, <laughs> you have a, and it's and it's also French, not Belgian. Well, Rose, I've got a French beer because. I you know we've seen the tour of Flanders I've absorbed the tour of Flanders and I'm already getting myself in the spirit for Paris-Roubaix next weekend so I've got a French beer not you know that's also because French beer was the only beer that I had in the house (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I can't imagine what it's like in your house when the Tour, of, Tour de France is coming up. Just like bottles of bottles of wine, wine. everywhere. I, Empty bottles, I do, mostly. Yeah, yeah. I do have a, a Duval, which is actually an official Belgian beer. Just to say that Lionel's handed over uh, control of the Arrivé to us. So we uh, are just going to dissect a little bit about what happened in the race and give our Hot take, I guess, on uh, what happened in the race. I feel like
1: Corrections Corner has to be... Corrections Corner doesn't exist for Arivay because it's such a hot take. But would you like my moments of the monument, Rose? I would love that, Lizzie. That's
0: your tale of the attack, isn't it? Obviously, it's not a stage, so it's moment of the monument.
1: Take it away, Lizzie. Let's hear what happened. 143 riders lined up for the start of the 20th edition of the Women's Tour of Flanders, 156.5 kilometres from Udenada to Udenada. It took nearly 70 kilometres for a move to get clear of the peloton when AG insurance Sudal Quick Steps Kiwi champion Ali Williston went away solo. After 30 kilometres solo, she was joined by the duo of Elise Chabé from Canyon SRAM and Eleanor Barker of UNOX Pro Cycling. Two kilometres out from the base of the crucial Koppenberg climb, a mishap for world champion Annemiek van Vluten saw her come down and she caught her wheel in a muddy drain on the side of the road, hitting the deck and bringing two other riders down with her and requiring a bike change. Meanwhile, Trek Segafredo and SD Work swarmed at the front leading into the Koppenberg, catching the leading trio at the base of the climb. Halfway up the cobbled climb, a patch of wet cobbles spelled disaster for the peloton. Lippert, Vibers, and Kopecky all having to put their feet down and blocking the road for the entire peloton bar Marlon Reuze and Sylvia Persico. Kopecky and Wiebers were almost instantly up and running with their bikes and able to remount and join the pair ahead, whilst behind there was total chaos. Leading the race now was Persico of UAE Team Emirates with an intimidating trio of SD Works favourites, Kopecky, Vibers, and Marlon Reuze. Chasing at only 20 seconds was a group with three trek Trek-Segafredo riders, Van Anroy Brand and Longo Borghini, Neviodoma and Shabby from Canyon Shram, and Henderson, Labou and Sierra, and importantly Demi Vollering, who was running excellent interference behind. The Peloton, now already at 150 behind the leaders after only another 5k, was effectively out of the race. Onto the Kreuzberg, and Vivas could no longer hold the pace at the front. Behind, Van Anroy attacked the chase but got nowhere with Neviodoma glued to her wheel. Onto the Varamont with 18 kilometres to go and Capecchi, not wanting to risk taking Persico to the finish line, put in a massive attack. Persico followed, then faltered on the brutal gradients with Capecchi opening up a massive 30-second gap over the top of the climb. Roysa was quickly reabsorbed by the chase, with Persico still dangling in the gap between, and at the bottom of the final climb of the Paterberg, had just 15 seconds' advantage over her chasers. Van Anroy tried once again to shake the chase off her wheels, riding over to Persico on the Paterberg and trying to get clear, but Niviodoma and Vollering didn't give her an inch, and the four came over the top together. Nine kilometres of headwind nullified all attacks on the straight run into the finish in Udenada and Lotte Kpecki had time to savor her second victory in the Tour of Flanders and third win from five starts this season. It was yet another 1 2 for SD Works, but with roles reversed as Demi Vollering won the sprint from the chase group, with Elisa Longoborghini rounding out the podium for third.
0: The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. I mean, it is amazing, isn't it, Lizzie? You said another one too, uh, FestiWorks, but They've just been unstoppable
1: this season, haven't they? And, you know, particularly in the classics as well. Yeah, ninth win, ninth win. I heard an interview with Danny Stam, the director of SD Works, yesterday, You know, before the Tour of Flanders, you know, asking you know, were they expecting to win after after the success they'd had this season and had they expected to have the the success this season. And he just said, absolutely not. You know, because the peloton has grown in strength and depth so much over the past few years, it was really surprising even to the team how much success they've had this season and they think that it was just you know one or two key changes of riders um and team bonding that they've had within the team over the winter and a a training camp that they had in california where they all went bikepacking and camping that kind of really created this strong team spirit that's what danny stam said but i think really they just have the strongest riders and they have a lot of the strongest riders don't they so and riders that know how to win a bike race in an absolutely on form lot of so it's pretty impressive you know I said I said, said that she won three at races out of her five starts and the, the fourth race she was second in Strada Bianca. yeah so, <laughs> I mean the other one I think and she like, was second 72nd or something so <laughs> everyone's allowed an off day <laughs> but I mean it is
0: amazing isn't it because I mean they brought in Lorena Vibas um who you know obviously is, is the sprinting superstar and I do think that that has made a big difference to how other people the other teams view them because now with SD Works if they can bring it together with a number of riders if it might end in a uh, a reduced sprint or a bunch sprint finish then they basically have the winner uh, among mm. their number don't they now they have lorena vibas so um, it's not like when teams used to feel like that the only card they had to play was that sprint card that they might win they now the other teams are now thinking even if it comes down to having a big group then we're still going to lose and i think that kind of creates a little bit to be honest we both thought it when we we're watching the race today a little bit of inertia from the other teams not just that sd works kind of outplays everyone and is by far the strongest team which is true because on paper before the race started if you wanted to go for their, the top three favourites to win today you would have said they were Lottie Kopecky Demi Vollering and Marlon Royce, yeah, probably yeah, yeah. And maybe Annemiek Van Vleuten but I really wasn't yeah.
1: actually completely sure about her form anyway so because she's not yeah, been racing exactly because yeah. she's been uh, doing a lot of uh, our of training obviously we'll talk a little
0: bit about kind of you know what happened to uh, Annemiek Van Vleuten and kind of her misfortune but I think also it is a little bit that the other teams haven't worked out a way of controlling SD Works, or haven't haven't worked out a way of outplaying them, or outmaneuvering them. Yeah, have they, what, Yeah, what I you think, think I
1: think you've really hit the nail on the head there. And so today, I was I was surprised and disappointed that the other teams didn't take it to SD works and you know looking I was texting you kind of you know talking about the race as we were watching it and I said you know there there hadn't been very much action or there'd been pretty much no action and I said action's going to start at 45 kilometers because that was where the Koppenberg was and then it was all back loaded um, and you've got you know the hard climbs to come after that everybody's been racing for 90 110 kilometers already um, and they're really tired so we knew that that was where the action was going. to start and we know how strong sd works are and we know how many numbers that they've got got so you've got to get people up the road before that and there just wasn't you know there wasn't even the urgency to try and get people up the road it took such a long time for any break to go and then it was a one rider break and there wasn't this kind of yeah urgency like i said like oh my god we've got to get somebody over there we've got to get people up the road and we've got to work really hard um, and we've got to get ahead of the race so that, you know, even if they come to us, we've got that chance because otherwise they're just going to ride away from us. And it's it's a little bit like in the old days with Anna van der Brecken, we used to say the Anna van der Brecken effect mm. and she would ride off and people would mentally think, well, I can't catch her. You know, there's no way I can catch her. Look at all these races. She's won. She's Olympic champion, multiple world champions. So off she goes and I'm fighting for second and third. And it's like that. But now it's just the whole SD works effect. And we've got to get to a point where the other teams are really going out there to fight. And even Lotta Capecchi doesn't understand. She was asked after um, after Gent-Wevelgem in the interviews, I think it was after Gent-Wevelgem, she was asked, what can the other teams do? And she she said, I don't understand the other teams and I don't understand the other directors and I don't understand why they're not doing something to try and stop us. And, you know, you cannot wait in these situations. You've got to be proactive. And And they weren't proactive and really... I hesitate to say this the B word, but I felt the race was quite boring. Um, <gasps> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we were really waiting for the action and it finally came in one moment and it, it came because three riders put their feet down on the on the Koppenberg really. That was by far and away the defining moment of the race because that moment when Lippert, Vibers and Kopecky had to put their feet down and they completely blocked the entire road. Uh, Lucinda Brand went into a bush. There was swearing and you know, a lot of expletives and those groups were effectively formed from there and didn't really change bar a couple of riders sort of getting dropped. What do you think? Do you think it was the B word? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly thought it was the B word up, and up until that point mm-hmm. when we uh, hit the Coppenberg, But
0: I guess my feeling I mean obviously the Koppenberg was so decisive I mean obviously we saw that Marlon Roycer and Sylvia Persico were the only ones that that well we obviously didn't see everyone going up the Koppenberg but I mean they stayed on their bikes and they were the only ones not to be
1: delayed by the incident yeah
0: that's what we should say and and behind there were lots of people you know putting their foot down or you know we saw Lottie Capecchi even running um like cyclocross style uh, up the Koppenberg um and I guess the thing is with that Climb is that I mean, it is so. I mean, it's even steeper than it looks on the television. Mm, it, 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 it is 20% quite low down, so that and combine that with the fact that the cobbles were slippery. Uh, the cobbles actually also really bad on the Coppenberg, the like compared to something like the Paterberg, which was actually used to be an asphalt road and was paved in order to that the race would Would come come through, would come past. (laughs) Those cobbles, we're not talking about really old, broken up uh, cobbles, but the Copperberg cobbles are are really big, really hard. Today they were really slippy uh, because of the conditions. So it does mean as soon as one person even slows up in front, then that delays absolutely everyone. Mm. It becomes... You know, if you come to a standstill, it becomes almost impossible to carry on um pushing through and riding up. Yeah, and, and once think...
1: you've stopped, you have you have to run because you can't start yeah. again from such a low speed when it's so slippery. You'll just yeah. you'll just fall and over on a high gradient. Like yeah, that. So... And so I
0: think it was because Lizzie, like you were saying, it was so. Oh, I don't want to say boring, but it was certainly very passive, wasn't it? Mm. Um, The earlier stages of the race, kind of people were happy for Ali Wollaston to go, and I
1: think even. Ali Wollaston wasn't expecting to be out for so No, long. no, you never, you never even... want to be out solo. You know, you you, you go yeah. away and you think people will come over to you. And, and eventually two riders did, but it, you know, there wasn't long enough before that crucial moment to get that big of a gap and there needed to be kind of a group of, six or eight or something in order to gain that momentum to get away and it was quite surprising but yeah definitely spiced up after the Koppenberg and on the Koppenberg. You know that's the thing because people weren't really going
0: for it and as you say they weren't the little groups that meant that that Koppenberg became more instrumental because you then have a huge group of people riders all going the same time up the Koppenberg so one stops one puts her foot down and then that's everybody's race delayed apart from the the few at the at the very front, but I would kind of disagree with you a little bit, Lizzie. I guess that that was the the kind of the one moment in that made the race. Kopecky, like like we said, was see was off her bike, running up the Coppenberg. I mean, um, and the fact that she then went on and won and was in that front group was because she was in the right position coming into the Coppenberg. And I think a lot of the teams, a lot of the riders were just badly positioned. I mean, in, in any climb you hear the race director the sorry the team directors are always saying be in the top 20 be in the top 20 you know going into this climb but on the Koppenberg you need to be in the top five otherwise you just don't don't have a chance at all and the fact that Lottie Capecchi was off her bike but could still come through and win I think um says more about her as a rider than
1: just the fact that, you
0: know, the incident on the Koppenberg kind of decided the whole thing.
1: You're right. And the, the people in the top, well, let's say kind of 15, was pretty much the whole of, you know, most of SD Works, most of Trek and most of Yumbo Visma. And then, mm. you know, that's if you take all of those riders, that's already 18 riders. And so, you know, we saw that three people putting their foot foot down blocked the whole road. So it's really three wide, riders wide um, and that's everybody. But the thing that did actually surprise me a little bit is... So Kopecky, yes, she put her foot down and she won the race, but she was the first person to get, you know, to be able to get Mm. back on her bike because she was right at the beginning there. Um, And we saw footage of all the riders sort of coming over sort of in one line after they'd been able to remount, you know, they'd run, they'd remount and then they were coming back. And very quickly this this front group of four with Persico and the three SD Works riders formed and 22nd back there was the chase group with the Trek Trek riders uh, two SD Works riders and then a a few others. Um, And then very very quickly it was only five kilometers after the top of the Koppenberg it was already one minute 50 to the peloton behind and I think that is the thing that really confuses me because we didn't see the footage of why that peloton was so far behind and I don't really understand why because it wasn't like when the riders were coming over the Koppenberg after remounting that there was a huge gap. You know, they were sort of coming along in one line. And at some point, there must have been a break in that gap. And there must have been disorganisation and, um, you know, lack of wanting to chase in that group. And I also don't really understand why, because we didn't have that many teams represented in the front. Really, we only had SD Works, Trek and Canyon would, would have been the only teams who would have, I would have said, if they're behind, then don't chase. Everybody else, and there were 24 teams in the race, everybody else should have been chasing to get back to that second group. And that is what I don't really understand. You know, I know teams like FDJ, they had some riders who were um, down in a crash with about 80k to go. Gladys Verholst was in a ditch and not looking in a good way. And Vittoria Guazzini had also come down quite hard. And that is one team that I would expect to sort of be there. There was the rest of Yumbo Visma, who were, like I said, they were the third line going up the Coppenberg. And it was only only anna henderson that was in that chase group so really they'd have wanted more numbers there you'd think when they're outnumbered so heavily by uh sd works and trek so that is an aspect that i don't really understand and i don't really know how that fits together yet or why that happened because we didn't see any footage of it and we've not had an opportunity yet to hear from those riders so i would like to know why that was but i suspect it was a case of everybody looking around and saying um, wait, these riders up the road. <laughs> you chase, not me, not me. The
0: cycling podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, Lizzie, we've talked uh, already about S D Works and what they did well, uh, but there are obviously some notable absences. Well, I mean, not notable absences, I guess, because Trek, Segafredo, they look to be the other team that could contend against SD Works, and, you know, historically, they would be the other strongest team that you'd mention, aren't they, um, as favourites going into any race. And obviously, they did finish with Elisa Longo-Borghini on the podium, but it seemed to me, and and to you as well, that Shirin Van Anroy seemed to have really strong legs today. Obviously, she's also the, the Binder champion, so we know that she she's in a good run of form that she's got that that winning confidence what did you make of their tactics and you know could they have got more out of today
1: yeah like you said they were the team that after that split on the Koppenberg they had the numbers and they could have made the difference um, I think it was a bit tricky because they had they had brand Longo Borghini and Van Amroy, and it was very, very clear that Van Amroy that was the one to go for. Longo Borghini is just coming back from a quite a bad COVID infection, um, where she had, I think, ten days off the bike um and was quite unwell for a long time. Her first race back was to Farsdorf-Landeren and it's incredibly impressive that she's even in that final group, but she's not quite firing at the same, you know, rate that we expect her to fire at and the same with lucinda brand coming off her cyclocross break she's not you know she's not quite 100 percent lucinda brand yet van amroy is really she is firing on all cylinders she is she is there she's got the legs and i think sometimes she just gets a little bit over excited and instead of using the using that power that she has in one moment for for one sort of killer attack one lotta of type killer attack where i'm gonna go on the eau de and i'm gonna you know drop a bomb uh and that's where i'm gonna use everything she's sort of you know she she's on the front quite often trying to attack here trying to the attack there but then because she's doing it so much she always gets bit of an inch but not a mile and so, you know, people are always able to get on her wheel and close it down.
0: She's very visible, isn't she? We're we're
1: always seeing her, which is normally a bad sign. She's riding people off her wheel rather than coming from the back and doing an attack. And there was one moment, I think, on the on the run into Udinada where Elisa Longo-Borghini sort of did an attack and and Demi Vollering, atta- you know, followed her. And I thought, oh, this will be a dummy attack and it'll set up Van Anroy. And then that didn't happen. And then right in the final coming into Udinada, I thought it was very bizarre because we saw Van Anroy on the front almost sort of riding people off her wheel, but then not quite. And it was going into a headwind. So it just seemed a bit bizarre. And then in the end, they ended up sprinting for Longo-Borghini and, you know, Okay, Longo Borghini did actually get third, but Longo Borghini came back so many times. You know, she mm. kept, you know, she kept kind of dying and coming back and dying and coming back. That To put your cards on Longo Borghini in the sprint over Van Anroy seemed very, very surprising. And okay, I I realized that, it did you know, work, with the, it? Yeah. It, it did work. <laughs> so like, it's difficult for me to criticize it because it did work and she did come third. But maybe they could have got second with Van Anroy, And I just thought it was kind of kind of odd that they did that. It worked out, so I can't criticise it, really. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a little bit odd. So I, I think we kind of saw this from Van Anroy last season as well, when she was working for the others, when she was working for the rest of her teammates, that she had the potential to win races herself. But she was, you know, so excitable on the front so much, using up so much energy. So I think if she learns where to save her energy and where to really use it. She kind of takes lessons from the Lottakerpecki School of Racing, she could be an incredible weapon in so many of these races because it's very clear that she's got the legs and she's one of the strongest in the world. She definitely is but I think it's that cyclocross mentality a little bit isn't it? Yeah. It's kind
0: of like you know <laughs> go on the front keep yeah, <laughs> keep going it's
1: like a much more individual
0: sport it's you know much shorter and it's kind of like just constantly sprinting you know if you just put all your energy in then you normally win in a cyclocross race it's that kind of mentality but we also see that from another person who ended up in the top five and that was Kashin neviadoma I mean she's also a rider that we Often th- you know, see is kind of using her energy all the time, is always at the front, perhaps misplacing where she should put her energy. And I think, you know, on the run-in, the big flat open uh, run-in to the-, the finish, we saw her going for it, trying to make an attack when obviously she has much better
1: climbing legs. Yeah, a light um, rider riding into a headwind against is, you know six others. It's, it's-
0: not going to work. It is madness. And also, um, you know, she did have Elise Shabby. Um, they did have two in, in, in that group too uh, for a long time, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did. And I, I do wonder with Canyon SRAM whether they, they often actually put their cards on the wrong rider. And Elise Shabby is incredibly strong. And I know she got dropped from the chase group, but she was also out front solo for 15 kilometres in the lead up to the crucial moment on the Koppenberg. So... You know, she got caught at the bottom of the Koppenberg, so she would have used a lot of energy in that in that um, in that period off the front. Yet she was still able to stay with the group and keep coming back for a very very long time. And so, if Canyon would put their cards on Shabby from the beginning and say, "Okay, Shabby's our number one rider, and we're going to protect Nivea Doma," then they could play the game in the finish because I do believe that Shabo could be up there right in the finish, but she can't, you know, she can't be up there and be attacking off the front if the fin- in the finish if she spent 15 kilometers solo before. So, you know, send a different rider like Bossite or something off the front who, you know, is a very, very good rider, but maybe less likely to make it over those incredibly difficult climbs. So, yeah, I think it's another case of wrong, wrong rider, <laughs> you know, wrong rider for the day. Well, I mean, we are kind of picking out the, the teams that we did,
0: you know, that had the numbers that could have done uh, what well, we thought that could have performed possibly a little bit better. But, you know, we have forgotten to actually give a, a big mention to Sylvia Persico, um, who, mm. who in the end finished fourth, which will feel like she didn't get uh, m- as much out of the race that as much as that she put in, uh, because she w- really was tracking Lottie Capecchi pedal stroke for pedal stroke all the way up until the Quermont, wasn't she? And it was only at that those early slopes of the Quermont that she... Uh, that she fell behind. And I think it was also a bit of a, a, an awkward time, um, a little bit of a wheel slip uh, at a really awkward time on that Quermont, that kind of men that Lottie Capecchi got
1: that gap. But an extraordinary performance from, from her, another, another cyclocross rider, in fact. I actually wondered if SD Works had, you know, gone with the wrong tactics at the point where there was three of them and Persico and Vibas was sitting on. She was clearly beginning, you know, she was clearly swinging already. Um, Persico was sitting on, but Capecchi and, and Marlon Reuser were, um, you know, they were switching turns. And I was thinking, this is a bit dangerous because we don't really know how strong Persico is, but she looks pretty comfortable. She's sitting behind, she's not doing anything. And Capecchi actually having to use her energy. So I was wondering if at that point you know, they, they should have sent maybe Marlon Reuser off the front, you know, as a kind of a, a guarantee. But in, in the end, Kapeki had enough. But even when Kapeki attacked on the Kavaramont at the beginning Persico could stay with her and then she sort of like at the same moment that she slipped sideways a little bit on the wet cobblestones she began to hit a bit of a wall but she still held a gap from the chase group behind until the bottom of the uh, the Paterberg which was another five kilometers later so it was a pretty extraordinary performance from her obviously we saw her strength last year in the Tour de France that was where she sort of came to the fore as a road rider that we you know that we were talking about and mentioning her name a lot and she had that perfect positioning up the Koppenberg which which as you said Rose, is so important and not just important it's incredibly difficult because you know another team that we haven't really talked about Movistar Annemiek van Vleuten she was she was. She obviously had that fall before the Koppenberg, but she wasn't in a good position going into it in the first place, which was perhaps the reason why she had the fall because she was trying to come up the side from the back. So yeah, Movistar, another team that unfortunately didn't feature in the race because they had they had quite a bit of bad luck with you know Lippert slipping and then losing her chain and not being able to get it back on. And um, we saw Flutia Mackay going into the Molenberg in last position, which is a bit weird and a bit and that's out ver- of That's very a- early on as well, isn't it, the Molenberg? You know, yeah it's a lot it's a lot earlier but it's still a crucial climb because it's so so narrow and we saw the right we saw the whole peloton coming to a stop again the back two-thirds of the peloton coming to a stop at the beginning of that climb so yeah not a good day out from Movistar either no but they i mean they had it was a lot down to luck wasn't it for them it was a lot of um
0: bad luck because i think it was quite clear what coming into the coppenberg after uh, van fluten had had that slip and had to do a bike change which was you know it took up a, a so although she was very calm and collected through throughout the process, it lost a lot of time. Um, you could see that Liana Lippert was still going for it because she was mm. in one of those top five positions coming into the Koppenberg. So clearly she was told, you know, you go for it now. Liana uh, unfortunately dropped her chain and that kind of ended her campaign as well. But Alanis Alenis Sierra um did finish top ten uh, for Movistar. Star um so they did uh, they did get a result i'm forgetting
1: Alena sierra so she she did actually do very well because she was actually in that she was in that initial chase group for quite some time before she uh she got dropped from it on one of the climbs So, so she was actually up there at the at the start so if they had hadn't have had that uh misfortune with lippert or if lippert had been able to get her chain back on her bike a bit quicker uh perhaps what could have been for them with two of those up two of them up there
0: but I mean, where do we stand now, Lizzie? Because we've kind of gone through almost all of the other big teams, haven't we? <laughs> we've been like bad luck for them, and choosing the Not wrong good leader, wrong. and <laughs> wrong tactics, and in the wrong place. And Very the, easy for us to say, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, but but it's you know what can anyone do? Looking uh, you know ahead, we've got Parry Roubaix uh, next week, of course. Is there anything that anyone can do to be SD Works? Can you say, looking at Tour of Flanders, that there was who had who had the best chance of of overcoming Lottie Kopecki? Did you think today that wasn't an SD Works ride? I should say.
1: You know, before the Coppenberg or after the Coppenberg? I guess. I mean, I guess. Well, yeah, I guess it,
0: that's that's true. After the Coppenberg, was there anything that anyone could do against you know the might of ST Works at that point?
1: You know, if you look at it pre-race and you're looking at the rosters, then. Yes, you know you've 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 got if you've got teams with numbers of strong riders. Um, for instance, uh, canyon Tram, Trek, uh, Movistar, Jumbo-Visma. You try and get some strong riders up the road beforehand, and it's difficult because you need to do that without using too much energy. But you have to put the pressure on. So you know maybe you'll try with the riders that you. You start attacking and counterattacking with the riders that um, that maybe you don't want to be in that break, and then you start tiring people out and you try and do those killer moves with the riders that you do want to get in the break. And I do think that the other teams need to think sort of collectively about how can we we beat them together. You know, all of us need to attack and all of us need to get ahead of the game and we need to get numbers up there so that we can at least be ahead so that we can try and do something. So maybe we can try and get a rider to bridge over. And you've got to try and maybe do a, a more like wild tactic, a more crazy tactic. Because at the moment everybody's just waiting. And clearly waiting isn't working because SD works are winning over and over and over again. And with Pararu Bay there's so much uh, you know, luck and well, bad luck actually, I would say, that comes into it. But a hell of a lot of it is about positioning. And we've seen time and time again that SD works are the best in positioning. So I don't know. Get riders up the road. Take a risk. You know what else can you do? You you cannot just wait for them to win the race. Otherwise, it's it's going to get it's going to get b word again. <laughs> but I should
0: say that you know, uh, looking ahead, Bay next week is that going to be another one for for Lottie Capecchi? because her form is extraordinary. And just watching her on the cobbles today, I mean, we were saying that Sylvia Persico was was matching her up until you know the very last couple of climbs but i mean the way in which lottie is approaching these cobbles and these climbs she's just so smooth you know you can't see any of the effort on her face
1: she's barely breathing at all.
0: yeah she's just you know goes up and so smoothly and beautifully that I couldn't have seen, you know, whether the t- other teams had done whatever they could have done. Whether the Coppenberg w- wasn't as messy as it was, I can't honestly say that anyone else could have won today than than Lottie Capecchi because she, to me,
1: was was so so strong. I agree with you. I think that she, I think that the best, wa- the best and the strongest rider won the race. But I'm not sure that the other teams tried hard enough to not let her win the race. Mm. Whatever they could and could have tried none of that is to say that she wouldn't have won anyway because she did seem imperious on the cobbles and when she when she drops that attack she just gets such a distance instantaneously you know it's just you just can't respond nobody else can respond to it the way that she's attacking at the moment yeah i mean i would say she's definitely the favorite going into next weekend i don't think that's to say that she will definitely win i think there's plenty of other riders coming in you know there's you know we've seen fifa georgie for instance she's I would not even say a dark horse anymore. She's been riding phenomenally. And then a flat race like paris Bay will suit her really, really well. She'll be incredibly motivated for it. I think there's a lot of other teams and, you know, DSM ride really well as a team as well, which is really important for that race. I think Trek-Segafredo will be very motivated. Elisa Longaborghini is clearly on the way back into form and Van Anroy, you know, if they can kind of look at what they've, done today and kind of find the spots where they can save energy and work better together I think that Trek-Segafredo will probably be the team that are most likely to be able to take it to SD Works next weekend and of course, they have a history with the race. Well, yes. I mean, they, they are undefeated. Winning the first two editions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a race that there's only been uh,
0: two runnings of. But yeah, it will be it will be incredible to see Lossie Kopecky, I think, um, on the Cobbles uh, next weekend as well. I mean, it's been an emotional season for her as well, of course. Mm. Um, she lost her brother just after um Strade Bianchi and uh, has, and, you know, has since kind of made her her riding her tribute almost um hasn't she so strong has she been but you know we look forward
1: to seeing more
0: from her this season and lizzie you're going to be at paris-roubaix you lucky thing i
1: will be at paris-roubaix yeah lionel and i will be uh bringing you a saturday night live from roubaix so i'm very excited to, to be on the ground for that and um be bringing you the live nearly action <laughs> and we look forward to listen to that then
0: but thank you for joining me lizzie today thank you very much rose The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts